We're continuing with the series on eternal judgment, which is the sixth of the the sixth doctrine taught to us out of the book of Hebrews, which lists then six foundational doctrines um, that all Christians should have a clear understanding of. And that our text scripture is in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. The scripture reads, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, that's the first doctrine, of faith toward God, of doctrine of baptisms, on the laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. So we come to this uh, final of the six do uh, doctrines, which is the doctrine of eternal judgment. And um, we looked in the previous teaching about the fact that um, it's those who endure to the end of their time here on the earth who in fact will be saved. Uh, for the scripture says that we have been saved when we come into the kingdom of God. Uh, in the book of Cor Corinthians, it talks about the fact that we are being saved. So that's current tense. And the scripture also tells us that we are still to be saved. And so our salvation is an ongoing process. When we come into the kingdom of God, we've, we've been saved, we've been born again. We're in the process of being saved because we've been sanctified uh, through our, our walk here on the earth. And when we eventually um, go to be with our Lord Jesus Christ, then we will have been saved. Then we will be saved uh, fully. Obviously, we're waiting for our resurrected body. But um, we're to be um, weary of our, our walk on the earth. We're not to take our salvation lightly. And we had a look at the fact that we need to uh, look out for each other as, as Christians. And if we see any of our brothers in Christ who are um, overtaken in any kind of trespass, the scripture says, we who are spiritual are to restore them in a spirit of gentleness, lest we also be tempted and we must make sure that we uh, you know, are, are careful along these lines. Then we also looked at the example given to us in the um, book of Revelations, chapter 2, verse 20, where our Lord dealt with an individual in that particular church who had called herself a prophetess and she had gotten some of her followers into um, committing sin, sexual immorality, and also eating things sacrificed to idols. And that we saw that our Lord then judged her with sickness and he judged her followers with great tribulation. And his warning to them was that if they chose not to repent after his judgment, that he would then judge them with early death. And um, we saw that our Lord does intervene in the lives of believers if he sees that they're on a path to going down to the point of committing the sin to death that John uh, the Apostle wrote about in his epistles. But we also saw that there are instances where our Lord does allow the saint to continue down the path all the way to the point where they in fact do commit the sin unto death. And we said, you know, how is it possible that a, a Christian can commit the sin unto death, which is the sin of denying Christ? Um, and then we looked in Hebrews chapter 3, which uh, speaks about the fact that uh, sin is deceitful and it hardens the believer's heart. And so if a believer would continue in sin, they would uh, progressively have a hardened heart and they would eventually reach the stage where they would be quite capable of 
um, committing the sin to death, which is to not to deny Christ. And then we had a look in Hebrews chapter six at what a, um, that particular believer would be like, the one who had fallen away. And um, I'll just quickly quote it again. It says, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. This is beginning at verse four. Um, and have tasted the heavenly gift and have been, become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. And so we saw that these believers will um, die once again. They will die spiritually and there is no repentance. That's why the scripture says it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. Um, and then we saw that the sin to death is in fact to deny Jesus Christ as Lord. We saw that that is the condemnation that the world will in, has already incurred for they deny the Lord as uh, um, in their lives. They do not want anything to do with him and his salvation. And so they have already been condemned. And when they are raised, they will be raised to condemnation. And in 2 Timothy 2, we saw that our, uh, the Holy Spirit counsels us. He says, if we endure, we shall reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And so it's up to the believer to endure in this life and not to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way we will ever deny the Lord Jesus as believers is if we were to continue in a lifestyle of sin and our hearts would then become sufficiently hardened to the point where we will then be able to commit the sin to death. Um, and then we had a look at our eternal decision and the fact that the, we, we are given time up until we draw our very last breath on this earth to make a decision for Christ, whether we're going to accept him as Lord and Savior or not. And as long as we're on the planet, we have that opportunity to make that decision. And once that decision is made, it is an eternal decision. And uh, that determines where each one of us will spend eternity. And uh, if we make the decision to accept Jesus as Lord, then we will spend eternity with him. Um, if we choose to reject Jesus Christ as Lord, then we will spend eternity without him. And the two different locations that um, people go to currently um, when they leave the planet, when I, I'm saying when they leave the planet, that is when they die physically, is that believers then ascend into heaven and are they, they are in the presence of Christ in heaven and unbelievers descend into hell and they are held in torment in hell. But we saw that both heaven and hell are temporary locations. They are temporary stopovers. That's not where man is uh, ultimately intended to dwell. And we saw that the believer is intended to dwell on God's new earth, which, will he, which he will create at the end of the age. And, and the new Jerusalem will come down to God's new earth, and that is where we will dwell with him for all eternity. Um, the unbelievers, on their day of judgment, uh, they will be taken out of Hades, and they will then be judged, and they will then be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, and that is the second death, and that is their eternal destination. And so those are the two eternal destinations that await both the believer and the unbeliever. And we saw that there are, in fact, two judgments that will occur. Our Lord Jesus uh, referred to the two judgments in uh, John's Gospel, John chapter 5, beginning in verse 28. He says, Do not marvel at this, 
for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. So he's talking about a resurrection from the grave. So this is the resurrection of the dead um, in verse 29 and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And um, if you look at the, the series of teachings that we did on the, the resurrection of the dead, you will see that there are the two resurrections. The resurrection of life that our Lord refers to here is the first resurrection, and that is the resurrection of his saints. And then he goes on to say in this passage of Scripture, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. He calls it the resurrection of condemnation. Now, the reason he does that is because they have already been condemned in this life. For those who refuse to accept Jesus of Christ as Lord in this life, condemn themselves. And um, all that happens on their day of judgment is they are raised from the dead to uh, find out exactly what degree of eternal punishment they will suffer. But they have already been condemned. And that is why our Lord refers to their resurrection as the resurrection of condemnation. Um, and so that is uh, the two judgments that will take place because those two judgments take place at those two resurrections. And so now we want to go a little bit further and have a look at the saints' judgment. And we'll have a look at the saints' judgment over the next uh, number of teachings, um, and we'll get straight into it. The first thing we want to make a comment on is that the fact is that the saints will not be condemned, for we have already passed from death to life. And uh, we saw earlier in, in a previous teaching that... Um, we will not be condemned with the world. In fact, that's one of the reasons that our Lord does his intervention in the life of believers, as we saw in the uh, book of Corinthians, that our Lord Jesus uh, judges his church in the earth, not his whole church, but obviously believers who are continuing in a path of sin, he judges them in this life so that they will not be condemned with the world. But uh, as far as believers are concerned, those who have accepted Christ Jesus as Lord and remain true to the end of their time on the earth, they will not uh, be condemned with the world. We have passed from death to life and we will not uh, incur the judgment that the unbelievers incur. The scripture we can have a look at, which reinforces this truth to us, is in John's Gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 24. Um, our Lord speaking, and he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. And so the, the saints will not be judged. Now, the saints, in fact, will be judged, and we're going to have a look at the saints' judgment. We're dealing with that particular topic right now, as that's, that's the, the, the heading that I've given to this uh, passage of teachings that we're going through, because the saints definitely will be judged. But our Lord is very adamant here. He says, and shall not come into judgment, uh, but has passed from death to life. So when our Lord says that we who believe in him, because that's the only requirement is in order to... to um, have eternal life is that we have to believe that God the Father has raised Christ Jesus from the dead and believe that in our hearts and confess with our mouth Christ as Lord and then we are saved as taught to us in the book of Romans chapter 10 and so that is the criteria in order for us to be saved once we're saved we're born again same time 
and our Lord tells us that we will not come into judgment then because we have passed from death into life. And so the judgment that our Lord is referring to when he says that his saints will not come into judgment is in fact the judgment of condemnation, which the unbelievers will incur on the very last day of the age. They will incur their judgment. And so that is the judgment our Lord is referring to in this passage of Scripture when he says that we will not come into judgment. Um, he means that we will not come into the, the judgment of condemnation. The re, well, he, call, he refers to it, as we saw in the previous scripture, the resurrection of condemnation. So that is the judgment that the believer will not incur um, because we're born again and we um, have passed from death to life. And that judgment um, is for all those who are still spiritually dead. Let's have a look at another scripture, um, which kind of just reinforces this truth to us again. And that is in John chapter 3, John's Gospel, chapter 3, beginning at verse 16. Our Lord speaking, he says, For God so loved the world, and this is a scripture that we all know very well, but it just highlights this particular truth again to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through, uh, through him might be saved. Now verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And so, as I've already stated, the reason that uh, the unbelievers' uh, resurrection and judgment is referred to by our Lord as the resurrection of condemnation is because they've already been condemned in this life. Before they even die and go to hell, they have already been condemned because they have made their decision that they do not want to accept Jesus Christ as Lord. They have not believed. They have not received the heavenly gift that God has given. And so they have condemned themselves. And because they are their own free choice, they've made that decision, they're condemned already. And so they will um, be cast into hell when they die. However, believers, on the other hand, because we have believed in him, we will not be condemned with the world. Um, and so we have passed from death to life in this life. That's when that decision is taken. And so we have now been removed from that judgment. Unbelievers remain uh, set aside for that judgment, but believers have been removed from that judgment. And we will no longer be subject to the unbelievers' judgment of condemnation. And that is a very clear uh, concept taught in, in the Bible. And I don't think there's too many people that dispute, I'm talking about within the, the church itself, dispute that particular truth. And I think all uh, Christians understand it. Um, and so all that the Lord requires of us in order to be saved is to confess Him as Lord and believe in Him. And when we do this, our spirits are born again and we are made alive in Christ. And the, we receive the eternal gift of uh, the, the gift from God, which is eternal life, and we can no longer die. And so, from that point of view, we become like the angels. For the, if you read the, the scripture, tells us that angels cannot die; they are immortal beings. And when we accept Christ Jesus as as Lord, our spirits are once again born again, and made alive in Christ. 
and our spirits cannot die. And so in that aspect, we become like the angels because our spirits become immortal. They cannot die. Um, well, that's not the right term um, because immortal means you, you, you cannot die because our spirits, in fact, can die. Um, so we're going to get into a little bit of teaching on grace on the issue because we need to understand a bit of grace in order to understand how sin and the spirit um, is affected um, by sin. Um, and so we, have a, we had a look in, in, a, in the previous teaching that there is a sin to death and that sin is spiritual death. And so there is a sin that a believer can commit, which will once again kill their spirits. And uh, that is something that we, we've already discussed. And we don't need to go through that in any kind of detail today. But the point that we want to make here is that while I'm a believer, uh, I've accepted Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. So the moment I do that, my spirit is born again. It is made alive in Christ. And the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside my spirit. Because now my spirit is um, sinless. It is in a sin-free environment. And that is why the Holy Spirit can take up residence inside my spirit. Under the Old Covenant, that couldn't happen because the Old Covenant saints could not be born again. And so the Holy Spirit could come upon certain individuals, not all, um, but he could never dwell within the individual. Remember our Lord said to his apostles, he said, the Holy Spirit is with you, but he shall be in you. And the reason that uh, the Holy Spirit can now be inside the saints in their spirits is because our spirits are born again and are free from sin. So what happens when the believer commits sin is that the, um, sin does not affect our spirits. I'm talking about sin not to death, because don't forget we looked at the previous teaching, John differentiated between sin to death and sin not to death. And all sin is sin not to death, except for that one sin, which is to death, which is to deny Christ Jesus as Lord. So all other sin that we commit while we're in this life um, is not to death. And that sin does not impact my spirit at all. I can sin as much as I, I like. It's not a, a good term to use, but I'm just trying to put the, the point across. No, what, no matter what sin I commit, forget about the sin to death now, um, murder, adultery, um, fornication, hatred, all those sins, a believer can commit them, and those sins do not affect their spirits. Their spirits remain alive to God because the spirit cannot be affected by sin in this life for the Christian, for the believer. Um, and the reason for that is, is because when we come into the kingdom of God, we are now placed under grace. Uh, Book of Romans teaches us, sin shall not have dominion over you, for we, you are not under law, but under grace. It says, sin shall not have dominion over us, for we are not under law, but under grace. And so because we're under grace, sin cannot impact the spirit of the believer. Sin does impact upon the, the believer himself, because we just got through reading the scripture in Hebrews that says that the deceitfulness of sin hardens our hearts. And so when we commit sin as believers, our hearts become hardened. But the spirit of man 
remains sin-free. So you say, well, what part of, the, of, of man becomes hardened? Well, okay, we just a brief sidetrack here. We need to understand that the, the man that we look at is the outward man. The Bible teaches us that there is an inward man and there is an outward man. Our outward man is made up of these physical bodies that we dwell in and also uh, the organ of our brain that we use. That is the outward man. There is, however, as well, an inward man, the Bible teaches us. And the inward man is made up of four different parts. Um, and the four different parts are, and we're not going to go into a detailed teaching here because we don't have the time for that, but the four different parts are the will of man. Each one of us have been given a free will by God, and that the will of man reigns supreme in the makeup of man. For we, what we decide to do is what will happen. We decide to accept Jesus Christ as Lord, we get saved. We decide to reject Jesus Christ as Lord, we get condemned. But we do that based on our decision, and our decision is an act of our free will. So a man has a free will. Man also has a conscience. Our conscience has been given to us right from the Garden of Eden up until now. Everybody has a conscience, All, even unbelievers have a conscience. And the conscience is given to man to... Um, teach him to reject evil and to do that which is good. That's really what the conscience is all about. And then we have this, the soul of man, which is the mind of man. The brain is just the physical organ that the mind uses. Uh, but that is the, the, our minds. We have to renew our minds. And then the, we have the spirit of man. Now it is the spirit of man that is born again. And the spirit of man is where the Holy Spirit takes up residence in the believer when they come into the kingdom of God. So what part of man gets hardened when they actually commit sin? Because the spirit cannot be affected by sin. No matter what sin I commit, no matter how many sins I do commit, my spirit remains unaffected. In John's epistle, he said, He who is born of God cannot sin. Speaking about the spirit of man. Because if the spirit could sin, then the Holy Spirit would not be able to reside within him. Because in him is no sin. And he is light, and in him, in him is no darkness. And so, the, the, this is a whole teaching under, and we've dealt with it in the series on repentance from dead works, uh, teaches us all of these truths. But the spirit cannot sin. And so, the spirit remains unaffected by sin that a believer commits. So, which part of man is hardened? Well, the part of man is, that is hardened is two parts, really. The conscience of man becomes more and more seared, becomes more and more wounded, becomes weakened. Every time we choose to ignore our conscience and commit sin, because our, our, our conscience will always convict us to not sin. Our spirit does exactly the same. The book of Romans chapter 2 uh, teaches that truth, that the spirit and the conscience of the believer will either excuse them or accuse them, depending on what action they decide to take. And so the spirit remains unaffected if the believer decides to commit sin. However, the conscience does get affected because now you've gone against your conscience. Your conscience has convicted you not to do that. You've overridden your conscience as an act of your will, and your, your conscience has become a little bit weaker. You've wounded your conscience, the Bible talks about. And so we, you, your conscience becomes, it's not as strong in convicting you the next time you try to commit sin or you do decide to commit sin. The other part of man that becomes hardened more and more as they commit sin is the will of man because they become more uh, susceptible to wanting to commit uh, sin 
uh, because they are now they're now sowing to the flesh and no longer sowing to their spirits. And so when we commit sin as believers, our spirits remain completely free from sin. They're unaffected. They're still, we are still spiritually alive unto God. That is why I remember when uh, Paul judged that believer in the church of Corinth who was living a life of adultery, uh, he said that the reason we're doing it is so that his spirit can be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Because Paul recognized that if he was to die now, physically, early death, his spirit would still be alive and he would still go to heaven and be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul wanted to do that intervention in that individual's life so that they wouldn't go all the way down the road and commit the sin to death. And so that is what happens to the believer um, who continues to commit sin in this life. Their spirits remain unaffected by that sin. Now the reason for that is because we are under grace and not under law. And I quoted that in from the book of Romans. Let's have another look at uh, another scripture that also highlights this truth to us, which is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 12. And in fact, uh, Paul twice in uh, Corinthians mentions this exact same thing. Um, he says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And so he, he brings across a spiritual truth to us here in that he teaches us that everything is law. All things means everything. And all things are all things. There's nothing outside of it. Um, and so what he's saying, because in context, he's actually talking about sin, if you read the passage of Scripture. And so what Paul is saying is that all things are lawful for me, um, but not all things are helpful. Now, all things have to be lawful for us as believers. Why do I say that? Because Book of Romans, again, and uh, I know I'm digressing quite a bit, but anyway, Book of Romans teaches us again that... Um, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And so because we're under grace, all things are lawful for us, because we're not under law. We're above law. All things are lawful for us. Now, all things have to be lawful for us. For if all things are not lawful for us, let's say for argument's sake, just hypothetically, the sin of envy is not lawful for the believer. I'm talking about Christians now, I'm not talking about about believers at all. So let's say the sin of envy is not lawful for the Christian. Every other sin, and it sounds kind of strange to say sin is lawful, uh, but sin falls under the category of all things. So, you know, love is lawful for the believer as well, but you know, it's, it sounds very harsh, but this is the truth of the matter. So just so we can understand what grace really means and how it impacts on the life of the believer. As far as, as, far as the spirit of man is concerned, which is in fact the real man, um, all things are lawful for that believer. Okay, so let's, for argument's sake, say every sin is lawful for the believer and all the good stuff as well. You know, but I, I just want to highlight the point here. But envy is the one sin that is not lawful for the believer. Okay, let's say God said, everything's lawful except envy. If you commit envy, that's it. What does that mean? If envy is not lawful for, for the believer, well then, what would happen is that that particular sin is no longer under grace. That, that sin is now under law because remember, we just said 
envy is not lawful for the for the believer so it is unlawful for a, a believer to commit the sin of envy he can commit all the others but he can't do this one it is say say god take, takes it out that sin then becomes that commandment that law of of not being able to commit envy okay comes under the same category as what adam and eve were given when they were in the garden of eden remember what they, their commandment they were given their commandment from god was thou shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil uh, of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for what did he say what did our, our lord say to them for in the day that you eat that fruit you will surely die okay now we all know that when they partook of that fruit as an act of their, what they, their, their sinful act, their spirit died. There was no grace given. There was, it wasn't a case of, all right, you've, commit, you've only eaten one apple. I know we, we called it an apple. It wasn't an apple. But anyway, you've only eaten one of the fruit. Um, don't do it again. Uh, this is your warning now. Okay? You're, uh, you're under grace. So if you do it again, then you will die. No, it wasn't. The moment they partook of that fruit, they had committed that transgression, that sin, and their spirits died instantly. Because why? They were not under grace they were under that law god had said to them that law you cannot transgress for if you transgress that law you will die and that is what exactly what happened they died straight away their spirits died straight away and so we bring that the concept now to the believer and now the believer has this one law given to him by god it says you cannot commit envy can do everything else but you can't commit envy so the believer who commits envy what's going to happen to him his spirit will die straight away because why he's not under grace as far as that sin is concerned he's under law and uh, sin produces death and death is it kills the spirit the whole uh, we, see, we saw it in the previous teaching and the one before that that the whole purpose of sin is to kill the human spirit that's what sin is all about sin on its own is meaningless uh, for Satan really unless he can get this, the human spirit to be killed because his whole aim is to get as many people to go follow him into the lake of fire and brimstone as possible because he knows that's where he's headed and so his whole aim is to take as many of God's creation with him and so that is why we are completely under grace for everything and that's why Paul can say this that all things are lawful for, uh, for me um, because if there was something that wasn't lawful for me, if I committed that sin, if I transgressed that law, my spirit would die straight away. And so the reason that gr under grace all things are lawful for me is so that my spirit can remain alive uh, no matter what sin I commit. That's what grace is doing. There's not a lot more to grace, but obviously that's one of the major um, aspects of grace is that it keeps my spirit alive no matter what sin I commit because if that if I wasn't under grace the moment I'm born again and I committed sin again my spirit would die again and that's it I would be lost for all eternity but because I'm now under grace when I'm born again because I'm in Christ um, no matter what sin I commit no matter how many times I commit sin um, to my for my spirit everything's lawful and so my spirit cannot die anymore and that is what grace is all about um, from that aspect there are other aspects to grace but anyway, this is not a teaching on grace this is just uh, showing us um, what happens when we commit sin 
Now, some people take that particular truth and say, oh, this is great because all things are lawful for me. I'm under grace. No matter what sin I commit, no matter how many times I commit that sin, my spirit remains alive because my spirit cannot be impacted by sin. And so they use that as a license to commit sin um, because, because it's true. That is a, that's, that's the truth. That no matter what sin a Christian commits and no matter how many times they commit that sin, it doesn't impact on their spirits at all. If they were to drop dead straight away after committing, I don't know, a thousand acts of adultery and they had a heart attack and died, they would be in heaven straight away. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Why is that? Because all things are lawful. They are under grace. And their spirit has not been impacted at all by the sin that they've been committing. But where um, people get that kind of wrong is because they look at just the spirit aspect of it. Because the Bible does teach us very plainly that we become hardened through sin. And I kind of just briefly touched on it. The two parts of man that become hardened through sin uh, is the conscience of man and their will becomes hardened. Now the conscience doesn't be, it becomes hardened because it becomes seared, becomes more and more ineffective in preventing the Christian from com continuing in sin. But their will becomes hardened. And they get to the point. So what Christians who use um, this truth of grace uh, to the extreme by saying, well, you guys, you know, don't put condemnation on, on, on me because I'm under grace. I'm not under law. And so, you know, no matter what sin I commit, I'm, I'm forgiven and my spirit remains alive to God. What they, they forget is that the, the warning in Scripture is when we do that, what happens is our wills and our, our consciences are becoming hardened and it becomes easier for us to commit sin. And we head, we start on that road. We're now on that path heading down to the point of committing the sin to death. Remember what we saw in James' epistle when he said that, um, sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So under the old covenant, when and, and you know, this is, let's just go back to Adam and Eve because otherwise we're going to get too sidetracked to that. But under the old covenant, uh, under in, in in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve committed sin, instantly the spirit died. Okay, under the new covenant, that's not the case. Our spirit remains alive um, when we commit sin, but. Uh, James's warning kicks in, and there's others, lots of other scripture in the New, New Testament that speaks on the same ma uh, manner. Um, in that sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And so, whereas I, I don't, my spirit won't die instantly when I commit sin under, under grace, what happens is I've headed down the road, and now the sin has to bring, be fully grown. So there's the period of time and if I continue in sin, sin will eventually become fully grown. And when it does, it will produce spiritual death. And so eventually, I will eventually die. Why? Because I will then commit that sin that John spoke about, which is the sin to death. And so that is the warning given to uh, believers that we're not to go down that path because 
if we do go down that path, then we're going to get into ourselves into trouble. Let's go back to Corinthians again and look at that passage, that scripture that uh, Paul wrote. 1 Corinthians 6.12, he says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. And so, you know, we can go out and do whatever we like, but not everything that you can do is going to actually help you in your Christian walk. Some things are going to be hindrances to your Christian walk. Um, and so there's some things that we should, as believers, stay away from because they're not helpful to us. They're not going to uh, lead us in, in walking in righteousness. They're going to lead us in walking in sin. And then he goes on, he says, All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And so Paul recognized that if he was to commit sin, that he would then be brought under the power of sin. Now, he's, he would still be spiritually alive to God because his spirit would be unaffected by the sin. But now what has happened is he's now given himself over to the power of sin. You will recall our Lord Jesus said that anyone who commits sin becomes the slave of sin. And so we, we give ourselves uh, over to, if we give ourselves over to committing sin, we now allow sin to have power over us. We're still spiritually alive. We're still sons of God. That hasn't changed. But now what has happened is there's a, another influence that has been brought to bear in my life, which is now impacting upon my will. And it's now kind of forcing me down the road of committing more and more sin. And so that is why Paul said he would not allow anything to have power over him. And Satan knows this, this whole thing. He knows how it works. And so his whole aim is to kill the, uh, the believer. When I say kill him, he wants to kill him spiritually. He wants him to die spiritually so that he uh, is condemned as, as Satan is. And so he knows that sin will get the job done. That's, that's, that's the only thing that will get the job done, by the way. And so Satan knows that. And so Satan is always doing what he can to get the believer to commit sin because he knows if he can get the believer to commit sin, that the, that sin now has a certain degree of power over that believer. And it becomes that much harder for the believer to know, not walk in that sin because there is that tugging that's taking place in the believer's life. And so we're not to play around with sin as believers. Uh, Peter warns us along this line as well. In 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 15, he says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now look at verse 16. As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice but as bondservants of God. Now that's a different wording, but it's exactly the same thing that Paul says. Because when Peter says, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, when Peter say, says we're free, we are free from everything, because all things are lawful to us. And so we're not bound by anything. Believers are not bound by anything. We're not bound by um, the Sabbath. We're not bound by any um, calendar. We're not bound by anything. We're completely free in Christ. But now Peter warns us. He says, now don't go start using the liberty that you have as a cloak for vice. What does he mean when he says a cloak for vice? Well, saying, okay, well, because all things are, uh, I'm free from all things, I can now do, uh, commit vice. Vice is, uh, is another term for uh, committing sin. 
Um, and so people use grace and use this liberty as a cloak for committing sin because they say, you know, I'm under grace. So don't talk to me about the law and what I should and shouldn't do because all things are lawful for me. I'm free from everything. Uh, but Peter gives us the same warning that uh, Paul gives us. He says, guys, although you're free, don't use it as a cloak for vice because you're now misusing it. It's never, there was never the intention of grace. Grace was given because the Lord knew that his saints were going to miss it, that they were going to be committing sin from time to time. All Christians do. Um, they shouldn't, and God's made provision that we don't have to. But however, he, he, in, he, in his infinite wisdom, knows that believers do miss it. And so he had to put this grace in place because if he didn't, then the moment the believer committed sin the very first time after they were born again, their spirits would die again and that would be it. There would be no more sacrifice for their sin and they would be lost for all eternity. And so our Lord places us, takes us out of uh, being under law and he places us under grace. We, we stand in grace according to the book of Romans. And because we're there, sin has no impact on the spirit of the believer. Um, but both Paul and Peter warned the church not to go down the road of abusing it. It was put in place as a safety mechanism, for want of a better word, for the believer, so that they, they wouldn't die. But God never intended it for believers to say, oh, this is great. Um, because I can't be affected, I can just dive into it and go and commit as much sin as I like because I'm, I'm, I'm spiritually still alive. And that's true. But the point that they forget is that now they have given themselves over to the power of sin. And this, their wills and their consciences are becoming hardened more and more as they continue down the road of committing sin. And Satan is leading them down that road because his ultimate game is to get the believer to commit the sin to death. And God also is, you know, he, God's God. And so, you know, he doesn't take kindly to Christians abusing his grace. Let's have a look at the scripture. Galatians chapter 6, beginning at verse 7. The scripture says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. He's writing this warning to believers, not unbelievers, okay? And so he's saying, believer, if you're going to continue to sow to your flesh, God's not going to be mocked. What does he mean he said, continue to sow, sow to your flesh? You're going to continue in the life of sin. You're going to continue to commit sin. He says, God's not mocked. If you continue down that road, you will reap what? Um, he calls it corruption, but that same word corruption also it can be translated to perish. And so the person will perish. They will die spiritually. He's saying the same thing that James says. Sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. The death that James is referring to is spiritual death. The corruption that Paul is referring to here is the spirit of man perishing. And that's why God's not mocked in this whole issue. And so if, if we sow to our flesh, we will eventually reap from the flesh corruption. But if we sow to our spirit, we're going to reap from our spirits everlasting life. And so that is what the, the whole grace um, aspect, as far as this is concerned, because as I say, grace, it, there's far more to grace than just 
this, but this is a very important part of grace because it does keep our spirits alive while we are on the earth and if we do commit sin. Now, believers can commit uh, two sins, really. There's two sins that a believer can commit. Um, and when, no, well, we had a look at the, the sin to death and the, and the sin not to death. Those are the two sins. But believers can also reap two different deaths. There's two de uh, deaths that are available to the believer that they can um, reap. And the one is physical death and the other one is spiritual death. Those are the two deaths that um, Christians can reap. Christians who continue in a life of sin can reap physical death and spiritual death. Now, if they were to reap the physical death first, before they committed the sin and, and reaped spiritual death, in other words, before sin was fully grown and produced death, as James refers to, if they were to reap physical death first, well, then they would be absent from the body and present with the Lord. They would be taken home to be with the Lord Jesus. Um, however, if they reap spiritual death first, before they um, reap physical death, well, then that's it. They've lost their eternal salvation, and they are now condemned for all eternity. And it's only the grace of God that allows a believer to reap physical death before they reap spiritual death. Because there are some believers who, once they're saved, um, and also that they backslide and they just get into it, and they go all the way down in sin. And so by the grace of God, as we saw in the church at Corinth, and as we saw at the church at Thyatira, um, the Lord intervenes and He allows the Christian to reap physical death first. And so because they've re reaped physical death, because it's sin that's really now everybody's going to die i'm not saying that if we don't sin we won't die uh, because it's appointed for every man wants to die and after that the judgment i'm talking about early death now i'm talking about a christian being taken to be with the lord before god intended it for them because it's god's intention that each one of us live out full lives on the earth but uh, god in his mercy if a, a believer is um on a path that will eventually lead him to committing the sin to death, then he, he then allows that believer to reap physical death first. And because they've re reaped physical death, their spirits are still alive, and so to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That is the grace and the mercy of God. However, we have seen that there are instances where our Lord allows that belie believer to go all the way down the line and first reap spiritual death. So they're still alive on the earth, but they have now once again died spiritually. And James again refers to it as being twice dead, because and we, we spoke about it in a previous teaching, that uh, we're all dead as, as, as um, unbelievers when we, before we come into the kingdom of God. We're born again, we're made alive once again. Born again, by the way, means born again, meaning we were born once before. And that was when we were children. When we were children, we were alive to God. Um, when we committed sin while we were still under law, um, then we died. That's when everybody dies spiritually on the earth. Paul said it. I once was alive without. Uh, I was alive without sin. One without the law. Once, when the law came, sin revived and I died. And so Paul was talking about when he was a child. And so we die. And so we need to be born again. And so we get born again. 
And when we're born again, we're made spiritually alive. And if we reap spiritual death before we get to physical death, then our spirits die once again. When our spirits die once again, that's what James talking about since we are twice dead. Because we were dead once, made alive and died again. And those people are completely lost for all eternity. And so that is um, the, the reality of what happens to believers who continue in, in sin. They use liberty as a cloak for vice, and we're not to do that. The scripture counsels us against that. And so you can see the, the danger of the doctrine that says once saved, always saved, because that believer is taught that no matter what they do, and no matter, you know, no matter, nothing can, can take away their salvation. Um, and so they are misled because, you know, all right, a little bit of sin, it's fine because my salvation is intact. I'm saved. I'm going to go to heaven. And no one teaches them that the, the end of that road, if you keep going down that road, uh, you can lose your salvation. Um, and because they, they think that that's it, no matter what they do, they can never lose their salvation, they get to that point of committing spiritual death, um, and they do lose their salvation. So it's a, it's a dangerous doctrine that has been put into the church, and there's multitudes who have stumbled over that doctrine over the last number of years. And uh, we're going to end the teaching today on that particular point. We're going to carry on with the saints' judgment in the next teaching. And we want to have a look at um, the fact that the saints will be judged. We haven't touched on that. We're still dealing with getting to our judgment. But uh, we'll carry on with that in the next teaching. For today, we're going to close it off at that point.